You're listening to The Mom Inspired Show, episode 93 with Christy Wright. Welcome to The Mom Inspired Show. I'm your host, Amber Sandberg, and this show is created to inspire, encourage, and add a little extra fun to your day. Hey guys, I am so excited for today's guest. We are going to have Christy Wright from Business Boutique on The Mom Inspired Show today. And if you do not know who Christy Wright is or The Business Boutique, I highly encourage you to go look it up after the episode to see if it's something that you would want to do. But I just want to say that this was the catalyst for me starting the podcast. I went in 2016 in November and I launched my podcast November 1 right before I went to this conference. So this conference means a lot to me. And by having Christy right on the show is kind of like full circle. So she just gives us so many ideas on how to take a hobby and make it a business. So I know that there's moms out there that are wanting to start a side hustle or they're wanting to go from staying home with their kids and starting a business. Or there's some of you that work the nine to five job, or you might be a nurse or something like that. And you want to change it up. You want to do something different. So this show is for all of you. This is going to give you the inspiration to do what you love. So I hope you guys enjoy this show. And I would love to see your feedback on this episode. Feel free to take a screenshot of this episode and tag me on Instagram. You can find me at Amber Sandberg. Let's go to the show. Christy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. So I like to start off every show with an icebreaker. Um, I love to travel and I love asking, what is your favorite vacation spot that you have gone to and why? And this can be with or without kids. Oh, I love this question. So I would say that travel is probably one of the top priorities for my husband and I. So when it comes to spending money, like we'll go cheap on other stuff, but travel, we love to travel. So I was actually booked to speak in Hawaii last fall. I know it was a real struggle. Everyone, please feel sorry for me. Uh, but we tacked on uh, two, I guess about three different, uh, three days onto that trip after I spoke. And we were in Maui and we had taken a family vacation to Kauai and Oahu uh, years ago. But this was our first time in Maui. And I would say that's definitely my favorite spot. It's like the perfect mix of nature and adventure, but also beautiful hotels and restaurants and things to do. So uh, we had an amazing time. Definitely didn't spend enough time there. I wish we had a little bit longer, uh, but with little kids, we had to get back. So we'll, we'll go back another time for sure. Yeah. So I just recently became a travel agent and uh, my boss wants me to become a Hawaiian specialist. So I'm super excited to kind of get in and, and learn all about the different islands. I too have been to Ma- Maui, but it's been, I don't know, nine years. So, and I would love to go back. I mean, it's so amazing. Uh, but like you said, you have to have enough time, especially with the, you know, the jet lag and how long it takes, especially with the kids. It's not a trip that you just want to go there and turn around and come back. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, so one thing is fun. Um, I would love for you to share this with the audience is, um, didn't you go diving, uh, with sharks somewhere and I can't (laughs) remember where, where you went for that. I did. And that was in Hawaii also. So that was on my first trip, um, whenever we were in Oahu and Kauai and it had always been a dream of mine to go cage diving with sharks. Um, but the only places that I knew that they did it was like off the coast of South Africa or Australia. And it was like $3,000 and that just seemed like a pipe dream, you know, a million years away, but we got to Hawaii and it was our two year wedding anniversary that we went on this trip. And on the second day, my husband gave me an envelope as an anniversary gift surprise. And it was a gift certificate to go cage diving. So we went, uh, and it was so funny just because I had, I'm like obsessed with the idea of sharks. I love shark week, all that fascinated by them. 
and I talked big game for years of how I'd love to go cage diving with sharks. <laughs> but when it came right down to it, I was petrified, but it was still just the most exhilarating experience. Once I got over my fear, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. And I didn't realize it was in Hawaii. Um, I've been to Cape Town, South Africa, and it is kind of scary to think that there's so many great white sharks out yes. there. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, when you were in Hawaii, was it great white sharks or was it tiger sharks that were swimming by it you? Was, no, it wasn't great whites. It was Galapagos sharks. So they were oh. like 15 feet long. Okay. Um, so they were big. They were good sized sharks. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it was, yeah, they said it's Galapagos is like the type of shark that was just really common in the area. Oh, okay. When we went to Maui, we went horseback riding. And I remember someone saying, yeah, people don't swim in this certain area uh, because I can't remember if it's bull sharks or tiger sharks. One of them, there's a lot of them and they don't discriminate. Like they just will bite anything and so they have a lot of times they have like license plates in their bodies and stuff like that (laughs) yeah 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 so i'm like "Mm, that is really scary (laughs) yeah oh absolutely no thank you (laughs) i know well let's jump into the show um how about you tell us a little bit more about yourself your name where you're from and how many kids you have and how you got to where you are today Oh, gosh, all the things. I love it. So my name is Christy Wright. I have two little kids. I have um, my son, Carter, is just over three. And then my son, Conley, is one and a half. He just turned one and a half. So they're pretty close together. Our house is a crazy household right now with two little ones. And then I decided that it would be a good idea during this crazy season of life to get a puppy because uh, I like adventure, apparently, Amber. So um, we have a little puppy named Rocky. That's a miniature golden retriever. We're a huge dog family. And so we love him. And then my husband, Matt, and I have been married for um, six years, actually two days ago. So we just celebrated our anniversary. And I work for Dave Ramsey as a part of his team. And I'm technically my title is Ramsey personality. And what that means for someone that doesn't know Dave Ramsey or isn't sure what that means is really um, I'm a, in a group of people that are a part of our succession plan. So this entire 700 person team is built on Dave Ramsey, the man and the brand, and we need a succession plan for the future. And so there are six of us Ramsey personalities that have different markets and different messages and different brands. And we are kind of building our brands in order to help more people and spread hope and carry our company into the future. So that's what I do specifically through Business Boutique, um, where I help women start businesses out of their passions and hobbies and grow their businesses uh, to whatever level of success that they want to chase. So that may be uh, just ten thousand dollars a year to you know pay for Disney or pay for soccer or pay for extracurricular, or it might mean uh, you're earning multiple seven figure incomes and you're turning this into a legitimate small business with multiple locations and team members. Um, the, the version of success varies depending on who you talk to in our brand, but the principles apply regardless. And I really love helping women get there. Yeah, I love that. And so I went to Business Boutique in 2016. And um, a a quick story. So I was at the Nashville Zoo. And you probably don't remember this because I'm sure lots of people come up to you. But what's funny is I was walking and my husband and I were walking um, by the goats. And oh, I totally remember this. Absolutely. I hear. Yes. So I hear (laughs) your voice. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Christy Wright talking. I'm like, that is so bizarre that I'm recognizing somebody by their voice. And so I went up to you, you were pregnant. And um, it, it was just funny because it, it wasn't even like I saw you first. It was just more like, wait, right. why do I know that voice? You I know, know yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I had not launched my podcast yet. So um, I, I wanted, so here's the thing. I used Business Boutique as my um, 
hard deadline. I'm like, I need to get this launched before I go. So I launched it November 1. And then I think November 3rd is when um, Business Boutique started that year. And so that really helped me to just kind of be like, okay, you got to get this done. Let's get it done. So that when I was at Business Boutique, I could say I have a podcast instead of saying, I'm getting to launch. I'm getting ready to launch it. Right. Right. I love that. (laughs) That's a good goal. That's a good deadline. Yeah. And I think that's great. And I think it's good for people to know that that are considering Business Boutique for the first time and to kind of really use that as a goal, especially since we have some time before it comes out in Nashville in November. But um, yeah, so that, that's just like a funny story um, with me. And I realized too, so I used to work, um, I would work at, at Clinique just coming in. I wouldn't work at a specific counter and I would just come in and kind of help. And I would, I worked for Clinique itself, not like Macy's and stuff like that. And I realized that you are friends with Sarah. Um, oh my- my gosh. Yes. I know. Yes, she is one of my best friends I from know. college. So I've seen that and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is such a small world. Yes. Uh, and so obviously I didn't, I wasn't in this world when I was doing that because this was years ago, like eight yeah. years ago. So I'm like, this is the craziest thing that like here, it, there's just so many connections, right? That you, you don't so even realize. Many. Yeah. So um, I feel like I'm connected to you in ways that you don't even know. So <laughs> I love that. I love what a small world it is. And especially Nashville has that small town community, even though yes. it's turning into a big city. Yeah. And so, yeah, I love that feeling. Yeah, me too. I mean, and it's, it's crazy how... I've lived here 12 years and I'm from Michigan, both my husband and I, and I feel like I run into people more often here um, than I even did in Michigan growing up and being there for 28 years or so. So um, yeah, it's crazy how that is. And, um, and it's not like a super tiny town. And so, but still, I feel like I could run into people all over the place. Even I live in Nolensville. So, um, but you know, be at Whole Foods or even Trader Joe's, which is in Green Hills. It's like, you're still running into people. It's like, wow, you really can't, you can't hide. <laughs> yeah. It's so fun. I wonder too, if it's something about the region where mm-hmm. it's warmer here longer, people are out more. True. It's yep. a super friendly city. So people talk more, you know, there's probably yeah. other dynamics, but I love that about Nashville. Yeah, me too. So I wanted to jump into talking a little bit more about Dave Ramsey. How long have you been working at Dave Ramsey? And at what point did you become the face of Business Boutique and, you know, a Dave Ramsey personality? I love this question because Amber, like a lot of things with me, it's just kind of a crazy story. It's not at all like you would expect. Um, I started working for Dave nine years ago and I applied for a product manager position. So I literally was creating products for youth and teens. So the Juniors Adventure Banks or the Graduate Survival Guide, those things were projects that I was in charge of all of the development of those from start to finish. Well, in 2010, um, Dave Ramsey's daughter, Rachel Cruz, was a college student that spring, and she was going to be coming on our team as a speaker. And we didn't have speakers at that time. We didn't have personalities, anything like that. But she had always um, you know, related to teenagers, and she was kind of young herself. And so she was going to be the face of our teen brands, like Generation Change, which is a Bible study and that type of thing. And so she was going to come on board for doing that. And she had been booked that summer in 2010 as a speaker for an outside conference. And they thought, okay, this is a great relationship. She can get some reps and get some practice as a speaker. This will get her out in the marketplace as kind of the face of of teens and, and that type of thing. So this whole arrangement was orchestrated in the spring of 2010 while Rachel was still in college. So she was going to graduate in May, come home to Nashville from Knoxville at UT and, and go on the road and do this conference. Well, somehow that spring, whoever set up this conference and this whole arrangement, uh, handed it off to me because I was in the teen department. You know, I helped with teen products and so on. 
two weeks before Rachel was supposed to go on the road, we got the travel schedule from the conference. And Amber, they had booked the worst flights imaginable. Mm. Um, I guess they went through Expedia, so they went really oh. super cheap. Yeah. So you had two and three connections to get oh to my a gosh. city. Yeah. You would it's have awful. been in an airport 16 to 18 hours a day. I kid you not. And you were in a different state every single day. So there was no downtime. There was no you know, unpacking. It was literally every single day you're moving and you're just traveling. You're in the air in airports the whole time. Well, Dave saw this schedule and in his wisdom was like, no, we're not doing this. This is too much for anyone to do. Plus, she's a new college graduate. She's newly married. Like, no one should have to do this. This is, they shouldn't have booked these flights. Uh, she can do 10 of the conferences, but that's it. She can't do 20. She can do 10 and they can pick whichever 10 they want her to do. She's not doing the schedule. Well, I got to be the bearer of bad news because I had now formed the relationship. Like I said, I'd kind of inherited this as the liaison between us and this outside conference. So I had to go to the conference and tell them that Rachel wouldn't be doing 20. She'd be doing 10 two weeks before she's supposed to go on the road. Oh my goodness. So (laughs) I'd not really thought this through, Amber. You know me well enough to know that I'm kind of like fly by the seat of my pants (laughs) on stuff. Yeah. So I hadn't really thought through how this was going to go. All I knew was I was just going to tell them. And, And that's as far as I thought. So I told the guy, said, I'm so sorry. Um, she's not going to be able to do these 20 dates. She can do 10. You can pick whichever 10, but this travel schedule is too much. It's not feasible um, for her at this point. And he said, Christy, what am I going to do? Like this starts in two weeks. I have her booked for 20 keynote presentations. I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I going to do? And I said, I'll do them. And he said, mm. can you speak? I said, I think so. Amber, I'd never spoken in my life before. Oh my gosh. I'm just a problem solver. I was just like, I'll figure it out. I don't know. You need a speaker. I'll do it. And what's so funny about this is I went on the road with Rachel that summer. I went to all of her events, her 10, and ran AV for her. And then I went to the other 10 and did them myself. And so I did that travel schedule, even though it was insanity. And by the end of the summer, because I did a good job and I you know, picked it up and I was natural and, and communicated well and so on... Well, that fall, our entire company identified an opportunity to have additional speakers because there were about 3,000 requests per year that we turned down for Dave Ramsey that he couldn't do. And we thought, wow, we need new speakers. We need more message bearers, people that can go deliver hope in different markets that Dave could never and would never go to. So they formed a speakers group. And there were seven people in that group. And Rachel was the a female speaker, the rest were men. And then I was the other female speaker and I did not audition. I did not apply. Actually, no one even really asked me. They kind of slid me into that group. Mm. And it was just because I'd done a good job that summer on the road with Rachel. So it was kind of a no brainer. Well, that speakers group uh, became something I did on the side in addition to my full-time job. So for about four years, I did my full-time job of developing products but then I would go travel on the weekends and sometime during the week and and do speaking events. And it was this incredible training ground for me as a speaker. And then in 2013, um, this began to turn into the Ramsey personalities and more of a succession plan and being scalable for the future of our company. And we started to dig into what is the heartbeat of, of what we speak on? What's our favorite message to deliver? What's our favorite audience to speak to? What's our story? And as you see the intersection of our story, our heart, our strengths, the need in the marketplace, for me, it became very clear that I wanted to help women with business. I have a background in business. I'm a certified business coach. My mom ran a business. I've had side businesses. Like Everything just pointed to 
that's what I need to do. And that's what I love to speak on. And certainly there's a need in the marketplace because many people are getting into business that can, because it's so easy and accessible right now with free social media and free, free access, but they get overwhelmed by business and they have questions like, how do I sell without being pushy? And what about taxes and business licenses? And how do I set myself apart from the competition? And really, those are all things I love to speak on. And I have a background in. And so I can come alongside people and help them do what they love and make money doing it. So uh, it's been a whirlwind ride. Uh, I love the quote by Sheryl Sandberg, where she says um, in her book, Lean In, most of the best career opportunities are not positions that are posted, but problems that you solve. And that thing becomes your job. And that has certainly been true for me because I didn't set out to be a speaker. I just wanted to solve a problem. And that thing became my job. Yeah. I mean, that just shows you, uh, you know, all the women that are working in a traditional, you know, work force that, you know, sometimes it's all about just raising your hand saying, I'll do it. I can do that. That's right. Yeah. Right. And so, and then obviously you just get better and better as you're, you know, doing more and more speaking engagements to getting better at speaking, right? Because, you know, originally they asked you, can you speak? Well, I'm sure today you are such a better, you know, public speaker than even when you were, when you first started. And so- Oh my gosh, yeah, night and day. And, And that's what I think a lot of times, I know your audience is women. A lot of times I think women- ask for permission. They wait for permission Mm. for someone to tap them on the shoulder and say, you can do this, but it needs to be the reverse of that. It needs to be you raising your hand saying, I can do this, even if you don't know if you can. And that's really key, Amber, because you don't have to have proof. You don't have to have permission. You just need to be willing to try because at the end of the day, you're going to learn the most by doing. I didn't learn how to be a great speaker by taking a class or getting a certification. I -hmm. didn't learn how to be a great speaker because someone gave me permission. I learned how to be a great speaker by speaking. If you want to be a writer, write. If you want to lead a business, start the business. You're going to learn the most by doing. So get out there and get moving and don't wait for permission. Just raise your hand and say, I can do that. Even if you don't know that you can, because you'll figure it out when you start doing it. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I've even learned that with a podcast. So that's right. There there's just things that you wouldn't even learn if you were just trying to kind of anticipate it ahead of time, trying to figure out, okay, let me just figure out all this before I even start. It's like, wow, you know, and then you, you change things and you adapt and, and you you really don't know until you're in it and saying, okay, I really kind of want to go this direction, but there's no way that you could have figured that out just trying to look at it on paper and trying to guess. Right. So I love that message that, you know, you just kind of have to do it and then you'll learn. Um, This kind of leads me into my next question that if women want to start a side hustle or a business, or they are at the beginning of that stage, what do you feel like the number one thing they should be doing at the at the very beginning? Like, what should they not overlook that you feel like a lot of women do and you wish you could be like, you should have done this from the very start? Well, this is going to seem really simple, but because it's simple, it's very overlooked. Um, assuming they have an idea. So if they don't have their idea, obviously they need their idea. But assuming they have their idea of what they want to do, and they're ready to take it to market, but they what, they don't know what that first step is. The very first step for doing anything in business is identifying the problem that you solve through that business. And that seems very simple, but you'd be amazed. I had a call um, the other day on Dave Ramsey's show. I was a guest with him on the show and we were taking callers. And a woman called in and she said, I've been running a business um, in education, helping teachers organize their classrooms and all these things. And I'm having trouble uh, educating them about what I do and, and how I consult and all these things. And I've been in business for four years and, and I'm just having trouble getting through helping people understand what I do. And I said, okay, what problem do you solve? And she said, 
Oh, gosh, that's a hard question. And I Mm. thought it shouldn't be because people are paying for you to solve a problem for them. That's the only thing they're paying for. That's the only thing they're paying for. I'll say it again. That's the only thing they're paying for. So if you don't know what problem you solve, I guarantee you they don't know. And so they're not going to pay you. And and when you identify the problem you solve and through your business, it gives you so many other valuable pieces of information. So let's look at this. Let's say you want to start a business. When you identify the problem you solve, you now understand who your target market is because your target market are people that have that problem. Okay. Now you know your target market. When you know the problem you solve, you know your value proposition because that's what you're charging for. That's how it gives you confidence in selling and setting your price because you're pricing for solving that problem. You also know your marketing language because all you're going to talk about all day, every day is how you solve that problem for people. And so if you don't know what problem you solve, you're missing all of that valuable information. And again, you can't communicate to your customers what you do, so they're not going to buy from you. So I would say if you have an idea, you know, I love to paint. I want to create paintings. Awesome. What problem are you solving? I want to make hair bows. Uh, Okay, awesome. What problem are you solving? And don't get intimidated by the word problem because that doesn't mean you have to um, be a plumber and you fix clogged pipes, which is a problem. Hair bows are solving a problem. I didn't have hair until I was three, Amber. Like, that's a problem. (laughs) Little girls need hair bows. Like, moms want their daughters to look adorable in church on Sunday morning. Um, You have paintings. People want beautiful, unique art that reflects their personality in their home that you can't buy from a store. You're solving problems, whether you realize it or not, you just need to dig to the deeper layer of of what that problem is, and that will help you understand all of these other pieces of information for your market and for your business. But you've got to start there. If you don't know that, no one else knows it either. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I just had to go through this. with. So I just became a travel agent uh, two months ago doing all my certification. And I really had to sit down and think, so people can book their own trips, right? People can go on the computer. But what the pain point is, is that people get stressed, people get overwhelmed, people are busy, you know, they don't have the time to go through the resources and figure all this out, even though they are capable of doing it. So I really had to sit down and kind of dive in to figure out what is the pain point? What is the problem I'm solving? And so I agree because I feel like a lot of times people just are like, well, I just sell this and I don't know what what it's going to do or how it's going to help. So I think that was a great answer because I feel like, like you're saying, right? You think about, uh, you know, let's talk about hair bows, right? You're, you're not thinking that's a problem. And so I, I love that you just use two creative um businesses, you know, painting and bows to really kind of point out this is the problem you're solving. Because like you're saying, it's obvious when you have a plumbing problem that that's a problem. Right. And I would add one thing, like, I love what you just said, where you said, what value do I add when someone can do it themselves? And that's a very common thing for business owners to think, well, someone can do it themselves. So why would they pay me? But just because they can do it themselves doesn't mean they want to. So let me give you an example. Amber, you probably go out to eat at a restaurant. You could cook at home. Mm -hmm. You go and you pay more because you want to be served and you want someone else to cook it for you. And and I would say that uh, in the travel industry, for example, your audience, Amber, as an example, are not people that are going to do it themselves. That's not your market. Your market would be someone that doesn't want to do it themselves. And you go after those people and appeal to them of, I'm going to do this for you. And I'll give you another example. Um, I just got off the phone yesterday 
with a dog trainer um, in Nashville, uh, getting a consultant about what it would be, what it would cost and what the scope of the program is to send my puppy to dog obedience school for a week to two weeks. Now, Amber, I had a Bernie's Mountain Dog for 11 and a half years before he passed away. I'm actually really good with dogs. I'm really good at training dogs. I know how to train them and I'm just good at it. But at this stage of life, with two little mm-hmm. kids, yep. I do not want to. I want to pay someone and send my dog away and him come home and sit and stay and listen. I don't have the patience. I want to pay someone else, even though I can do it myself. So really identifying, especially if you're in the service-based business, um, just because someone can do it doesn't mean they want to. And so you're going to appeal to the market of people that have the problem, like me, of having a puppy and not wanting to train it themselves. Hey guys, it's Amber, and you've been hearing me talk all about travel, and I am so passionate about helping families create memories through intentional travel planning. I know it's summertime, and it might not even be on your radar for fall break or Christmas break, but it's just around the corner. It's a perfect time to go to Disney, Mexico, or even a Caribbean cruise. So if you don't have plans yet for those school breaks, I invite you to set up an appointment with me. It's completely free both for the consultation call so that we can talk about what your plans are, what your dreams are, and put them into action. And it's also completely free to use my services to allow me to come alongside and help you make these plans a reality. So to book your time with me, go to mominspiredshow.com forward slash contact. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah. So this, this makes me think about the next question. So So you have the people in mind that you really need to gear your business towards. How in the world do you go about getting it to those people and getting in front of them? Like, I feel like, you know, especially as women, uh, it's hard to self-promote, right? Or you don't even know how to do it. You know, it's like, how do you even efficiently promote yourself and get your name out there? So do you have anything um, that you can share with us that, you know, can really help people to get their names out there? And how do they figure out where their audience is? Okay, this is really good. And there's a lot of questions in there. So I want to I hit all of them because they're all really important. So the first thing um, that we're talking about is where, where are these people? Well, a good way to identify where they are is to create a persona. So instead of thinking, I want to help all the people that need hair bows, identify your ideal customer. And and I want you to think of everything you can about her. Dream her up. If you don't have a customer base because you're new in business, you're just going to imagine her. If you have a customer base and you've been in business a while, you can look at your existing customers to identify themes and so on. So you're going to boil this down to everything you can think of about her, her age, her, her demographic information. So her age, her income level, her family, her education level, anything you can think of about her. Then her geographic location. If you're not online, if you're an in-person business like dog training, for example, we use that example. What geographic location are you working within your town, your city, your community, your school district? Um, And then the most important information you can really think about is the psychographic information. And that would be thoughts, feelings, behaviors, values, fears, pain points, anything that derives that person, what motivates them and what frustrates them. And when you begin to build out this persona, so um, you just dream up all this information and you can give her a name. So we're going to say our, our girl's name is Susie and Susie is 55 years old and she is an empty nester and she uh, really wants to uh, go on vacation for herself, but she's overwhelmed with technology and she needs someone to plan her vacation for her. And Susie feels stressed and intimidated by Facebook and on and on. You know, you just mm-hmm. dream her up. Right. When you begin to dream up your 
target customer, your ideal customer, this persona, that's obviously not the only person that you're going to reach through your business, but you begin to write all your marketing copy for Susie and you identify where Susie is. Maybe Susie is online on Facebook, but maybe Susie is somewhere else. Find out where your persona is, where that that market is, and go there. Facebook is a great resource because that's kind of the 800-pound gorilla in the social media space, and everyone's there. But you can also be extremely targeted in your marketing, um, in your campaigns, in your advertising in Facebook. So the, the first step in terms of identifying where your customers are it may be online. It may even be in person. Um, we, I worked with a woman that ran a true value store. This was years ago. And she was working through hiring. And you really, believe it or not, take the same process for your target market as you do for hiring. Instead of ideal customer, you start to look at who's your ideal team member. And where are they? And you go after them there. Well, in our case, it was, um, you know, they're farmers, they're outdoorsy, they're, they hang out at co-ops, they hang out at uh, the rodeo, they, you know, are on Craigslist. Like we started, it's not your traditional social media, but it's identifying where that customer or candidate is. And so we work through that. So identify who your ideal customer is, who your persona is, and go to where they are. Now, the second thing that you asked was about, you know, being self-promoting. How do we promote ourselves online and that type of thing and let people know what we do. I would say that if you shift your thinking from being self-promoting to giving, it will change everything about how your brand grows. Because we we get it wrong when we focus on what we can get. We can get likes, get customers, get money. But if you mm-hmm. focus on what you can give, your brand will grow organically. Now, you need to be clear about what you do. You don't want to hide it. You don't want to downplay it. But if you're a generous brand and you give content and you give value and you build trust and you build relationships and you just give, 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 then you're going to build trust in the in the customers and in your fans' mind. And when they need something, they're going to think of you. But not because you asked them to or because you told them all about, here's what I do, come to me, come buy from me, I've got hair bows, come buy from me, I do dog training. It's because you posted, here's five tricks to get your puppy to stop biting. Here's, um, here's a great resource and a video on how to teach them to sit. Here's a tip on how to use treats effectively. You know, it's you give, 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 give. And then when I think of, man, I really need someone to train my dog. You know who I think of? That person that gave to me. Because people buy from those they know, like, and trust. Mm-hmm. And your job as a brand mm-hmm. is to get people to know you, like you, and trust you. And a great way to do that online is by being generous and focusing on what you can give, not what you can get. And the natural result is when you do make an ask, when you do um, let them know about a special or promotion you're running, it doesn't feel pushy or salesy or self-promoting. It feels like the next logical step in your relationship with them. I think that's perfect. Yeah. And I do love that. And I feel like you spoke about that with uh, Business Boutique 2016 is to really give, 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 you know, what kind of content are you, you know, creating and and giving to your audience and and not just asking to buy, buy, buy. And so uh, I think that's really great. Now, let's let's just break this down for a second, because I'm going to use the hair bows. So if someone is sitting out there and they have a very creative business, and and you're suggesting to give them creative content, what what is one thing that you that they could do, right? If they have hair bows um, to provide to their audience without just being like, bye, 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 my hair bows. Okay, I love this. And I'm actually not written on this as much, but you're giving me an idea, Amber. Like, I feel like I need to write on this or do a podcast on this. So, <laughs> so this is really good. So you have, uh, think of it like two circles. You've got a circle within a circle, okay? The inner circle in this visual is the obvious problem you solve. You make hair bows for moms, 
uh, you make hair bows for dads, you make hair bows for little girls, you know, so on. That's the obvious problem you're solving through your business. Then there's the outer circle. Those are other problems that that market has. The, the market that you're serving through hair bows, other problems they have. So for example, um, maybe you post content that's, you're going to post content that solves these other problems, not directly tied to the business you're charging for. So maybe you say how to put together cute outfits, mm. how to match your hair bow with your socks, how to create cute accessor, other accessories for little girls, um, how to um, dress for Easter in a way that, you know, the little girl's not going to want to rip her tights off halfway through church. Um, I'm just making stuff up yeah, here on the fly. Know, I love it. Yep. Yep. Um, let's say that you're, let's say that you are in a business where you do um, something I was talking to someone the other day and they did, uh, handmade leather goods. So like beautiful, uh, wine cases that are made of leather, leather mm-hmm. and just really unique leather goods on Etsy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we were talking about what could be a lead magnet for them to collect email addresses. And essentially your lead magnet is the same type of thing. You're solving an additional problem. This market has. It's not the same problem. You're not going to give away wine totes, you know, for your core business. That's what you charge for. But maybe, your target market, if I was just going to dream this up, I'd say, okay, someone that's buying a leather wine tote is probably giving it as a gift. You don't usually buy that for yourself, a leather wine tote. Maybe you do, but you probably give it as a gift. So if you're giving it as a gift, then you want your target customer, your persona, they want unique gifts. So maybe you put together a guide, a gift guide, 2018 gift guide of 100 unique gifts that no one's thought of. And you dream up all those gifts. Some of them have nothing to do with you, but you're adding value and you're solving a problem that this market has. And it's reinforcing and solidifying your relationship with them as the expert on unique gifts because you're in that space. And so, and that's something I would download. I would give you my email address for a uh, 2018 guide on unique gifts because I'm always looking for unique gifts. I hate getting stuff off the store, off the rack that you could just get anywhere. Um, that's my personality. That's I'm in, I'm in that market. So you want to think of the inner circle as what you're solving through your obvious business. The outer circle would be other problems they have that you can solve through your expertise that's still in your industry. So hair bows, for example, would be the accessorizing. The wine totes would be additional gift ideas. And you could do that through a lead magnet or you could do it just through the content that you post. If you are a realtor, for example, you could post content on um, the most the rooms that are going to give you the best ROI to update in your home. It's not a bedroom. It's a kitchen. It's a bathroom. Uh, how to improve the curb appeal of your home. How to make small changes that ha- have the wow factor when you're selling your home. You know, you're, you're solving other problems. It's not just the buying and selling of your home. And so your content is in that space that you know. And it's also in the space of problems that additional problems that your market has. Yeah, no, I think this is great. And this c- goes along with this in regards to social media, right? How, if you're trying to get your um, name, your brand out there, do you have any thoughts on how you figure out like if you should be on Facebook Live or you should be doing Insta stories or you should be on Instagram? I feel like what's happening is people are so overwhelmed with the social media. And I do feel like it's good to focus on something, but I think that a, a lot of times they just want to put their head in the sand. And for example, your Insta stories are hilarious. And so, <laughs> but not everybody is good at that. Like, right. right. They, that they don't captivate people. And so then they're just like, uh, I don't know. But then I think, should we be pushing ourselves to get better and practice and practice? But so what is your thoughts on that with really utilizing social media and figuring out which one we should be using for our brand? I love this question. I will tell you it's both an art and a science. So there's a science to it of 
certain things uh, based on Facebook's algorithms will have more reach, will have more success. If you have a post that has high engagement, so high likes, shares, comments, and so on, uh, it's going to get more reach. And so it's on you to follow the formula, if you will, of getting Mm -hmm. people to engage. So you ask a question, what are you doing this weekend? Or what's your number one fear around hair bows? I don't know. You know, what's your number one overwhelm with the travel industry? And when you get that engagement, it's going to have more reach. So there is a science to it. But there's also an art of identifying what are you naturally good at. And you do want to push yourself outside your comfort zone. But you also don't want to... If you're not funny, then trying to be funny on Story will do more harm than good. You know what right. I'm saying? So yep. it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a balance of... You want to stay in your strengths and where your where your market is, but that's where the art comes into play. Of it's a little bit experimenting. It's I'm gonna and that's what all of business is really. Right. I'm gonna try some stuff and see what works, and then iterate and change. And this worked really well, so I'm gonna turn up the dial here. Or this didn't work at all. I'm gonna turn down the dial. I never intentionally planned to be funny on Insta Story <laughs> until I was once accidentally funny on Insta Story and everyone commented on how funny I was. I was yeah. like, well, I can do that again. Yeah. So you turn up the dial. And now if yeah. something weird is happening, I don't let the weird thing happen. I pull out my phone and go, y'all, my fish are having babies. Like, yeah, let's I talk saw about that. <laughs> so, like, it, I, I become intentional about what was accidental and because yeah. I'm just turning up the dial of what I learned from the market. But I didn't set out going, I'm going to be hilarious on Insta Story. So I've got this Insta Story plan. It wasn't that. It is in business. It's throwing things against the wall to see what works. So I think it's both an art and a science of you want to do what works that is proven with algorithms of of what's going to have high reach and high you know engagement but you also are a little bit learning like what are you naturally good at what does your audience gravitate toward uh, that type of thing and figuring out how to do more of that as you go I think it's right. both yeah so to really pay attention to what is getting liked the most or what feedback you're getting the most on whatever that post is and then just going along with that like what you're saying if you're not funny you know don't try to push yourself to be funny just go with whatever the results are that you, the feedback that you're getting and kind of just keep doing things similar to that since obviously your audience likes that yes and I would say one other thing is identify your purpose before you do something, like what do you want it to accomplish? And then assess afterwards if it accomplished that. Because the real problem of why people are not investing time into social media partly is overwhelm, exactly like you said. But it's also because they don't believe they will get results. So Amber, I have, honest to goodness, never played the lottery because Mm -hmm. I don't believe I'll win. So I'm not going to waste any amount of money, not $5, not $50, because to me, it's a complete waste of money. I'm not going to win. If you don't believe you're going to gain something from your time invested in social media, you're not going to invest time in social media. It's just going to, you're going to stay stuck with overwhelm and be like, there's no point. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not getting any more followers. I'm not helping any more people or making it more of an impact. So why do it? But if you can identify the purpose on the front end, here's what I want to accomplish through this. And then on the back end, did that accomplish that? Then it makes you like, I want to do that again. So let's go back to Insta Story. You could look at my Insta Stories about fish and think, well, what does that have to do with business boutique? It actually has a lot to do with it because here's what's happening I'm relatable, Mm -hmm. I'm real, it's behind the scenes. It's entertaining. It's building trust of, wow, she's a mom just like me with crazy scenarios going on in her life. If she can do it, I can do it. I trust that she, you know, there's a lot going on that has way more to do than fish. And then afterwards, when I get messages of people going, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Oh my gosh, that made my day. Oh my gosh, that made me smile. Um, Oh my gosh, you're, you know, real life, mom life, whatever. I'm going, yeah, that accomplished that goal. And I don't set out to do it uh, in a, 
uh, like it has to accomplish this specific ROI. Sometimes it's just like, I want to connect with my audience and I want them to feel like I get them and it accomplished it, even though you don't have a metric to assess that by. But I would say that whatever efforts you put into social media, whether that's a Facebook live, it's a post, it's a video, um, it's an article. Um, if it's Instagram, if it's Twitter, if it's Pinterest, anything you do, decide on the front end what your purpose is for it and then assess on the back end if it accomplished that purpose for you. Because if it did, great, do more of that. And if it didn't, maybe you need to change something or maybe you don't need to do that because you don't want to keep doing something that's not accomplishing what you want it to do. Unless you're just having fun and then by all means have fun. Right, right. But if you're frustrated in business going, this isn't doing what I want, well, then don't do it. So any thoughts though on like how to figure out if you should really be doing Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest or anything or Twitter? Is is there a, is there a, like a, I don't know, not a formula, but what would you recommend to someone who, if you were coaching them and they're like, I can't do all of them. Uh, is there something that you can like have the audience figure out like, okay, this is how you know which social media platform is best for your business. Yeah. And I, I wish there was, I will say that there are some generalizations. Um, and I wrote about this in the book and business boutique, which I know you're familiar with. So like as a generalization, Twitter is more sound bites. It's more breaking mm-hmm. news, um, brief articles, that type of thing. That's just the nature of how it's used. It's not used as much to connect because connecting isn't as um, accessible in the way that it is on Facebook in terms of commenting back and forth, sharing all that type of stuff. Um, so, or following threads. So that's kind of what Twitter's for. There's a large male audience on Twitter. Um, Instagram is is gaining more ground every single day. So I feel like that if you were to read today about what Instagram is doing and what's working on Instagram, it'll be different in six months because, for example, business today on Instagram is huge and businesses were not huge even a year ago. So you kind of have to stay up on the trends in that sense of what's, uh, what's working and what's new, especially with the formulas. And then Facebook is, to me, the best safe bet because, number one, everyone is there. Number two, you have so many tools, so many tools with insights, with advertising, with boosting posts. You can just toy around with it with very little cost or no cost even, and you can start to see results. Where I, For me, I don't feel like that it's that easy to learn and see results on other platforms. Um, so Facebook would be a really good starting point in terms of if you just want to pick one and you want to test and experiment, start there. Um, you also can do something called lookalike campaigns. So um, you can find a competitor and let's say whatever industry you're in, find competitors that are very similar to you that have a very similar market. And you can do a lookalike campaign where your campaign is advertising to their customers because they're, if they're interested in them, they're probably interested in you because you do something similar in that space. So there are a lot of mm. features. It's probably yeah. the most targeted advertising out there because you can get so specific. Uh, moms this age with this many kids in this school district that purchase at these stores, like you can get crazy targeted like you can in no other uh, type of advertising or marketing. And so I would say that's a good starting point. But in terms of algorithms and what's working and what's not, that's kind of always changing. So so if, you, if you're intimidated by it, don't get intimidated by the ever-changing metrics. Instead, just start where you know it's going to work, which is Facebook. Yeah, I agree. And I, I do feel like Facebook ads and all that are great. And I've just been learning a little bit more about the campaigns. I did not know, though that you can look at your competitor and kind of not copy it, but, you know, kind of see yeah. what they're doing. Um, so would you go into the ad campaign and to figure that out if you were trying to see what they're doing for their audience? Is that what you're talking about when you're saying 
Uh, what did you you're call targeting, that? <laughs> you're targeting their customers is what you're doing. So you're, you're if you don't know who your market is, you can, instead of looking at all the people and deciding, okay, these are my people. Because see, you can take it by the first approach, which is I know my market, so I'm going to target to people that fit this criteria, demographic, psychographic, uh, geographic. And you target those people for your ads or, or campaigns. The other approach is I don't know my market. I don't really know who my customer is. So instead, I know who I am. I am the business boutique. So here are other business leaders, um, business coaches in the space. You can create campaigns that market to people that like those pages. And then you're just, you're like, well, if they like them, they probably like me. So instead of knowing your customer and marketing to them, you know who you are and you just simply market to people that like people like you. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, that does make sense. I I understand it now. So I have about two questions left. Um, this one, the next question is kind of a two-parter. Um, it has to do with money. So I feel like so many times people are like, "You need to spend money to make money. You need to be able to invest in your business." And then people, people are like, "And make sure you hire out people, you know." And then it takes it off of you so that you can focus on what you're doing. Well, if you're not making any money, that makes that very challenging. And so I feel like people are like, "Okay, so when do I start hiring people, or when do I start doing?" this or, or, um, how do I know this course or event is going to, you know, pay off or, you know, how, how do I know how much money they'd be spending? So here's part one of this question. Um, do you have a recommendation? Let's just do online business because brick and mortar is a little bit more challenging with finances. So someone has an online business or they're doing bows or, or whatever, um, you know, so they have to advertise and all that kind of stuff. Do you have any recommendations on, how to figure out how much money you should be setting aside for your business so that you can, um, you know, pay for Facebook ads and and advertisement and go to business boutique and all that kind of stuff. And I know with Dave Ramsey, they're all, you know, you guys are all about not going into debt. So um, I, I do want to focus on that so that it can set women up to succeed. And then, and then I, and then the second part is, you know, how do you figure out how, to invest in your business, when to say yes, when to say no, and how much is it true that you need to pay money to make money? Okay. I love this. There's a lot of questions in here. So I'm going to start at the top of the specifically the uh, um, amount of money that you invest in your business. Really, this to me comes down to three things. And this would be true for online, for brick and mortar. It doesn't matter. Product or service-based business. There's going to be three variables you need to think about when deciding how much money to invest in your business, especially for starting out. Number one, what's your personal financial situation? And you alluded to this. We do not ever recommend people go into debt. You do not need a business loan. You just need to start small. So your savings level and your ability to invest in your business is obviously a major factor. If you have $500 in savings or you have $50,000 in savings, is a big difference of what you can do and how much you can put into your business and so on. So number one, your financial situation, your, your ability to... Number two, the business industry. Some businesses by nature are going to require more startup costs. They're going to require more equipment before you can do anything. Now, there are ways around this. You can get scrappy. You can sublease. You can barter. You can trade. You can. There are so many ways to get scrappy on the front end, which I always recommend because in the fr- on the front end, you haven't quite proved your business idea yet. And so you want to start with very low risk and low cost anyway and prove this idea before you go buy a lot of equipment. But there are still some businesses that require a little bit more startup cost than, than others. And that's just, that's the nature of it. So how much your business requires is obviously going to be a factor depending on how much you put into it. Medical industries, real estate, some of those things are going to be higher cost than someone that's starting a service-based business doing personal training, you know? So you got to think of that. And then number three, your comfort level. 
And this is a big one because so many people think there's a rule of thumb of here's the amount of money I put in and nothing more, nothing less. But really, this is a value decision. This is your business and it's your money. And so you get to decide what you're comfortable with. You might have $50,000 in savings and you might not be comfortable putting any money in. And that's okay. Melissa Hennett of uh, Grace and Lace, she's a Shark Tank success story. She did this. She had money in savings and said, I don't want to invest any money into this business because to me, investing my own personal funds into the business represents debt. We've been in debt and we have some wounds there. We don't want to go into quote unquote debt and we don't want to put our own money in. So we're going to turn a profit from day one. Now that's hard when you're in a product-based business, but because again, it was her business and she could build it however she wanted to, she took payment in advance and used that money to fulfill the orders and then ship the product and then use the next money and so on. So she structured her payment processing in such a way that the business turned a profit from day one. So those three factors are what I want you to think about when it comes to how much money to put into your business. How much money do you have to put into your business? How much money does your business really need? And how much money are you comfortable putting into business? When you ask yourself those three questions, you'll come up with a number. And that's where you set a goal and say, this is the amount of money I'm going to put into my business, whether it's $0, $500, $5,000, whatever that is. And I'm not going to spend a penny more. And what that does is when you set that goal, it lights a fire under you to make the business profitable. Because if not, if it's like, well, I'm just going to spend money on it till it gets profitable, you'll be in business 15 years and not even breaking even. And it's Mm. draining your personal bank accounts and it's hurting your relationships. Instead, set a goal and stick to it. And that will light a fire to give you that deadline to make the thing stand on its own, which is what I'm all about. As you know, Amber, I'm not about helping people start hobbies. I'm helping you start businesses. And there's a difference between a hobby and a business. A hobby costs you money and a business makes you money. If you want to be in business, you need to be making money. So this will hold you accountable to make sure it does that. Yeah. So that is part of my next question is if if you're not making money, at what point do you say, you know what, you need to let it go and you need to move on? Do you have like a kind of a time frame that if you're really just not making a profit, you you need to just figure out something else? Because because then there's times where people are kind of like, oh, did I give up too soon or was I not realistic? So what is your thoughts with that? This is a great question. I will tell you, it's a hard one to answer because there are so many variables at play. But here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you as much as you can, identify the source of the problem. And that's hard to do. You're going to have to do some digging. You're going to have to be you know, really, really realistic with yourself of what's going on. But if you have a business that solves a problem, especially if that problem is urgent, if that problem is important, um, if, if you have a market for it, there are other competitors in this space and they're winning in that same space. If all the clues point to the fact that this business should be successful then the problem is you. And that's a hard thing to face. That means that you've got to face your weaknesses and some things you're doing wrong. But it's also great news because it's something that can be fixed. You don't need to abandon the business idea. The business idea is good. You just need to work on some things like raising your prices, lowering your expenses, being smarter about your marketing, being more confident in your selling. There might be things that you're doing that are holding you back, but that's actually good news because you can fix those things. Now, if there are no competitors in this space and you're not solving a problem and there's not a market for it and no one seems to care, then maybe it's a bad business idea. But I would say that in my coaching, in my experience, that's the exception, not the rule. Typically, the problem is the business leader. I had a woman call my podcast um, and ask a question. This was a few months ago. and, And the question was, I've been in business for nine years and never made money. When should I give up? It's exactly what you're saying. And her business is candles. 
And I said, the problem is not the candles. There is a market for candles. Candles are being sold everywhere, all day, every day. I have 47 candles at least in my own house right now. Candles are not the problem. You are the problem. There's something you're doing wrong that's not making this business profitable. But the good news is you can fix those things and you can identify what the source is there. So I would say that identifying the source of the problem is your first step to identifying if you should give up on it or not. But the only time you should give up on it is if the business idea is not good and cannot work. But most business ideas are good and can work. You just need to work on some things in yourself, such as raising your prices. Women tend to undercharge, lowering your expenses. We tend to underestimate all the time and expenses goes into something and, uh, and being more confident in your selling, being smarter about how you manage the money in order to get the thing profitable. So if it is someone and, and it's them, right? Is, so this is where I would say, is this where you would suggest, hey, you know what? You really need to invest in yourself if you have the money to either get help with marketing or a coach or go to an event. Like, what do you tell people when it's them? What is it usually that they're missing and um, and how to figure out like what they should be doing to help them make themselves better for that specific situation? Well, that's a great point. I'll tell you, Amber, one of the things that I speak on a lot um, is this issue. I speak on fear. I speak on selling with confidence. I speak on your beliefs around money. A lot of what I speak on is the inspirational side of things, not the tactical, because women come to the business boutique event and they think they need the tactical tools and we give them that. But what they really walk away with is the inspiration and confidence and belief in themselves because I can give you all the steps and tools in the world. But if you don't believe in yourself, if you don't believe in your business, then none of those steps or tools can help you. You're going to stay stuck. And so I would just say find encouragement somewhere uh, to help you get the confidence you need. This is really a confidence issue. It's really a fear issue. It's not Mm. a money issue. Um, I, I tell people all the time, our, we think our problem in our business with the, are, are the numbers. Our problem is our ability to make money, but it's not the numbers. The problem is us. And if you don't believe in the goodness of business and making money, you will never have a good business and you will never make money. If you feel guilty for charging, if you're embarrassed to sell, if you feel like selling represents taking advantage of people, if you think wealth represents e- being evil, well, of course you're going to not try to achieve that. Because you're not going to take steps and put energy and effort into a result you believe is bad or immoral. So so for me, it really comes down to getting to your underlying beliefs around money and success and selling and, and profit. What are your beliefs there? And if they are not good, noble, worthy things that fire you up and and make you want to just charge hell with a water pistol, then that's something (laughs) you can work on. Because I don't hesitate for a second to talk about my book, Amber. And it's not about being self-promoting. It's because I get notes every day of women winning because they read the Mm -hmm. book. So it's not about Christy Wright, Christy. No, 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 no. It's like, I believe in it with every fiber of my being. So I don't hesitate for a second to talk about it because it's not that I think it can help you. I know it will help you. And I can't wait to watch what you're going to do with that information. If you don't believe in your business with that deep conviction, that's something you've got to muster up or find or dig deep to to get to, because that's what's going to drive you to make money. And the money is the result. The money is not the driver. Money is not my motivator. Helping people is my motivator. Helping people is my why. Money's just the result of that. And mm-hmm. so it, it's and when, when women get a hold of that, man, they can't be stopped. They can do it. So, so often, though, it goes back to what we said a minute ago. They're waiting for permission. 
They're waiting for someone else to inject confidence in them. And no one can do that for you. If you don't believe in your business and yourself, no one can do that for you. Now, I can pour fuel on the fire, but you've got to dig deep. Um, And that confidence is already in you. You just got to dig deep to find it. Yeah, so true. And I love that. So Christy, we're almost at the end of the show. And um, this question is for all the women that have attended a business boutique and are wondering, hey, should I go back? Can you share with us what you've learned from the feedback that you've gotten and how it will be different even this year for 2018? Yeah. So we're super transparent with kind of how we structure our events. So I'll tell you our strategy. Here's how we do it. Um, It's a two-day event or two and a half day, I guess, rather. And I will always teach the core lessons. So I will always teach the plan. I will always teach fear. I will always teach life balance. Uh, I may change up my stories. I may change up some examples and add new you know, information. But the core principle teaching is the same. If you follow Dave Ramsey, he's always going to teach you the baby steps. Like the baby steps are how you get there. And my plan is how you get there. So I'm going to keep the core content the same like we always do, but here's what we change up. We change up interviews, we change up panels, we change up success stories, and we change up all the outside speakers. And so the outside speakers are what bring new angles and new perspectives and new information uh, to make the event holistically feel like a new experience. But then we also create new experiential elements. So wow moments or new breakouts and uh, fun, you know, just kind of bonuses or, or surprises that we throw in there so that overall, the only thing that feels familiar are my lessons on the core content that Business Boutique is built on. Everything else is new and fun and different. But I would say even my lessons for women that have come back year after year, they hear something different every time. So they'll say, man, this is what stuck out to me last year. And my business is in such a different place. So when I look at the plan, here are my different goals. Here are different things I'm going to work on this year. And and it just has a new flavor because you're in a different place. So uh, that's kind of our strategy. So every year, is different in some ways. And in some ways, uh, it's still built on the strength of what Business Boutique is built on. Yeah. And I love it because, you know, and just changing up the guests. I mean, I have a friend who totally is interested in going because you're going to have Stu McLaren. Is that his name? Yes. 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 I just had him at the office two days ago and he is brilliant. Yes. Yeah. So is he going to be one of the main speakers or is it in a breakout? He'll be a breakout, but on the main stage. So he has the room to where there's no max capacity for his. So it can fill up the room. Yeah. So everyone can go that wants to. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And I, I think it's awesome that you guys change it up because like you said, it pulls in different people. And it also, you're at a different spot in your business and that you now may be able to focus on whatever they're talking about versus when you're starting, it may be too overwhelming and you're, you kind of right. can't take in all the information. So um, I appreciate that. Well, Christy, as we wrap up, where can people find you on social media and your website and where can they buy your book? Oh, thank you so much. Um, businessboutique.com is where you can find out about my podcast, about the book, about the events, about the academy, all the things we've got going on. We have a new course we just launched called Business Idea Bootcamp, and that's for women that want to do something, but they're not sure what. It helps them find their idea. And that's we're really excited because that's the first thing we've ever given or created for our dreamers that want to get into this space and, and they don't have their idea. So that's fun. And then on social media, um, Instagram is at Christy B. Wright, and that's the same on Twitter. And then Facebook book is official Christy Wright. So um, yeah, I love connecting with people and love, I love what you're doing, Amber. Like I love your story of you set a goal, you mm-hmm. went to the event, you launched a podcast, you're doing the travel industry. Like you are such a great example of the the potential that women have to chase their dreams and do this thing. So I just love that you're supporting women through your podcast. So thanks so much for for having me on and, and even asking that. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on and just sharing this wealth of knowledge. I feel like so many people will get so much from this and just know that you'll get even more when you go to the business boutique. Awesome.
Hey, you guys, would you like to have every podcast episode in your inbox on Tuesday? That way you don't have to go search for it or have to remember that, hey, a new Mom Inspired Show has aired today. You can have that. All you have to do is go to mominspiredshow.com and subscribe. If you're looking at it on your phone, just scroll to the bottom, enter your name and your email. If you're looking at it on your computer, it's gonna be on the right-hand side. That way you won't miss an episode and I'm also gonna start including travel tips every week. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next week. 